Hello, my friends. I'm in my third week in a series from the book of Hebrews. Today I'm titling it, How to Hold Fast. And in Hebrews, it'll be chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. Now, to back up a little bit um, in our series from Hebrews, where have we been so far? Well, in chapter 1, we saw that Jesus is the ultimate expression of God. He's God in the flesh. We learned that he provided purification for the sins of the world. Afterward, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Uh, Jesus is all you will ever need because he's done all that can possibly be done for your salvation. In chapter 2, last week, we saw that God created us to have dominion, to have uh, authority over everything. The truth is, however, that we don't have authority over everything. We don't even have uh, have it over ourselves. See, that's why Jesus came into the world. He became one of us so that by his death, he could taste death for everyone. His death eliminates our need for fear, our reason for guilt, our inclination toward weakness. In him, we have power. In him, we can become who God made us to be. So let's see what chapter 3 has in store for us. Well, let me give you a quick overview of chapter 3. And the writer continues his greater than lessons. In chapter 1, he said Jesus is greater than the prophets, the angels, all the creation. Chapter 2, he said it again, Jesus is greater than any angel. And now here in chapter 3 today, he continues this idea saying that Jesus is greater than Moses. And this is kind of a progression in thinking. First century Jewish people had great respect for the prophets. They had tremendous reverence for angels and believed that Moses was the greatest man who ever lived. So the writer of Hebrews is kind of stair-stepping his argument. The prophets are great, the angels rank higher, and Moses, who has spoken face-to-face with God as a man speaks to a friend, he's even greater than the angels. But the writer says that Moses served faithfully in the house of God, but it is Jesus for whom that house was built. Moses was a servant in the house. Jesus, as the son, is in charge of the house. Now, you're probably wondering, now what's this house you're talking about? Well, the house is you and me, the people of God, the church. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. You probably all sung that sometime or another. Jesus is the head of the church. All the others before, in other words, the prophets were servants in the household, and Jesus is the head of the household. Now, the rest of this chapter tells us how important it is for us to stay in the house, so to speak, in order for us to experience the fullness of all that God has for us. He reminds us that an entire generation of God's people missed out on entering the promised land because, well, very simply, that sin and rebellion and hard-heartedness and hard-headedness get between them and the blessings of God. So, the purpose of chapter 3 is not only to remind us of who Jesus is, but also to remind us of who we need to be. And this is where we're going to direct our attention in today's message. The message, how to hold fast. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews is kind of leading up to the idea, (coughs) an idea that he will continue to explore in future chapters, that we can enter into a place of rest in the presence of God. Now, this is a place of security, a place of freedom, abundance. It's a place we can escape the... Struggles of every day trying to be something we're not and instead receive the power to become more than we ever imagined we could ever be. It's a place with victory over sin, a place of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, that's the direction God is taking you. That's why He, what he wants for you. And so the writer of Hebrews says, don't miss it. 
don't disqualify yourself from the abundance, the life of abundance that Jesus has in store for you. And, and so in chapter 3, we see three things we can do to help us hold fast, to, you know, to hang on, to keep us in a place we need to be in order for God to pour out all of these blessings on us. Now, put another way, here are three things you can do to avoid kind of falling into the gutter down in the ditch by the wayside. Well, first of all, set your mind on Jesus. Here from this chapter, the writer says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. So let's start with that first thing, fix your thoughts. Now, the more you think about Jesus, the more you love him. The more you think about him, the more you know him. The more you think about him, the more you sense his presence. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, you could take a few minutes to read a story in the Gospels before you go to work in the morning, or you could read a parable or a few verses from one of his sermons and let it shape your thoughts. And throughout the day, you could mentally come back to a passage of Scripture, contemplating on his words, contemplating on his action. And when you do that, not only that, you can start to talk to him during the day, asking for his help, asking for guidance. And the more you keep Jesus in your thoughts, the closer you will be with him in your daily walk. Now, I'm kind of reminded of uh, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Uh, the prophet said, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. See, God can bless the one whose thoughts are fixed on him. Now, the writer of Hebrews, again, we don't really know who this person is, says that Jesus is our apostle. Now, other New Testament writers use this word to define a, a church office. Uh, the writer of Hebrews uses the word only in reference to Jesus. Now, the Greek word means one who has been sent, apostolos, but it can also be translated ambassador. In other words, Jesus came to us on God's behalf. He was God's ambassador. Now, the writer also says that Jesus is our high priest, and the Latin word for priest literally means bridge builder. That's what Jesus did. He was sent from God to build a bridge between you and God. And as a high priest, he speaks to you on, that, on God's behalf and he speaks uh, to God on your behalf. Now, the this, I make a little comparison. This might be, seem kind of silly at first. But, you know, when an actor or writer or musician employs an agent, the agent represents that person professionally. Uh, the, the artist doesn't have to negotiate his own contract or make his own arrangements. The agent does it all. But on the flip side, if the director or production manager or studio boss is unhappy with this artist, whoever they may be, they usually don't talk directly to the artist. They talk to the agent. It's the agent's job to stand between the artist and reality, so to speak. Now, in the same way, Jesus also stands between you and God. It's kind of a bit of stretch to imply that there's any negotiating taking place. But, you know, the Bible does say he intercedes for us. Uh, that's why John wrote this in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 1. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. See, Jesus came to us representing God. Now, today he sits at God's right hand representing us. That's what he does. That's who he is. So fix your thoughts on him. Train yourself to think about Jesus throughout the day, because the more you think about him, the stronger you'll be in your daily walk. Now, the second thing I want to suggest to you is hang on to your heart. Now, as I mentioned before, an entire generation of Israel 
was not allowed to enter the promised land because they, 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 were, they were a bunch of sinful yahoos. They rebelled against God again and again. It should sound kind of familiar. You and I are in the same boat. Until God finally said to these people, that's it, you're, you're not ready for life in the promised land and you refuse to get ready. I just can't let you come in. See, the promised land wouldn't have been the promised land for very long if it became inhabited by a bunch of people prone to griping and moaning and complaining and criticizing. I mean, these habits don't make for a good society. They don't make a good family. They don't make for a good church, that's for sure. While the people of Israel were making their journey through the desert, God was also leading them on a journey into holiness, only they refused to take the journey. See, God was also trying to teach them to trust in his goodness, only they refused to put their trust in him. God was also trying to teach them to be faithful to his word, only they they refused to obey. He just could not allow them to enter Canaan as they were. They They just made a mess of it. So he kept them in the desert. Now, I got to tell you, this is the unfortunate decision he has to make sometimes. He can't lead you into his rest if you're not ready to rest. I mean, you can't enter the promised land if you're still embracing what I call the desert lifestyle. I mean, what was the sin that the people of Israel committed? Well, in this chapter and the next, the writer of Hebrews quotes the very same verse from Psalm 95 three times. In verses 7 and 8, he says, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. See, the Israelites missed out on the promised land because their hearts were hard. In other words, their hearts were way far from God. And then the writer says in verse 12, See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, I don't often go back to the message, but you know, the message is kind of interesting here. It says in, in this verse, verse 12, Watch your steps, friends. Make sure there's no evil unbelief lying around that will trip you up or throw you off course, dividing you, diverting you from the living God. You see, unbelief lies at the root of our bad behavior. When we don't believe God will provide, we don't bother to pray. Instead, we just prefer to worry or take it into our own hands, which is not all that good either. When we don't believe God will be faithful in a difficult situation, well, then we actually will take matters into our hands and start doing things our own way, sometimes whether it's right or not. See, when we don't believe God is watching out for our best interests, we gripe and moan and complain and whine and bellyache. And all that stuff does is it gets us off the course and we just fall in the ditch. Now, you know what the Israelites, uh, what did the Israelites in? You know, it wasn't lying and cheating and stealing, although they probably did some of that. It was the lack of belief in the goodness of God that caused them to turn their hearts away from him. I mean, once their hearts were turned away, their actions followed. Now, the writer of Hebrews quotes what God had spoken in Psalm 10 when he writes, This is why I was angry with that generation, and I said, Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. Now, do you see the connection here? Their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. See, just as thinking about Jesus helps you walk more closely with Jesus, keeping your heart close to God also helps you to know him better. Now, how do you keep your heart close to God? How do you prevent it from getting all hard? I'm going to suggest you three words. Surrender, believe, obey. 
Surrender every day of your life, countless times through the day. You kind of need to surrender your heart to God. I, I, you know, say something like this: God, here's my heart. It's yours. It might be a little cold right now. But it's not as tender as it should be, but I, I, I give you my heart. And believe. I mean, every day of your life, you choose to believe the promises of God. You, you choose to believe that God is working all things together for good. That He's guiding your steps, or that He's actually going to provide you with all that you need when you need it, if you need it. I'm not saying you choose to feel a certain way. I'm saying you just choose to believe. And then there's obey. I mean, every day of your life, you make a sacrifice of obedience to God. Every day you will have a chance to do at least one thing you don't want to do. Or you'll have a chance to not, not to do one thing you really wanted to do. I mean, it happens every day. When the opportunity presents itself, choose to obey God. How many times have you heard me say this? We are not called to be condemners. Don't choose that. Instead, choose to be a gospeler. See, even if it's not easy, even if you don't feel like it, choose to obey. Every time you make this sacrifice of obedience, your heart gets a little softer. You know, the people I know that have been successfully in relationships for many, many years are the ones who kind of said at the outset we're going to guard our hearts together. We're going to nurture our relationship. We're not going to let anything or anyone come between us. And that's the most well-adjusted Christ followers I know have the same attitude, whether it's in their families or their friendships or whatever. They understand that our relationship with God must be nurtured. We need to look after it every day like one tends a garden. I mean, if you want to enter into all that God has planned for you, guard your heart. Solomon says in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Well, here's my third point. Take care of those people around you. Verse 13, But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, do you know what I've noticed? <laughs> what I've noticed is when I'm around certain people, I don't sin as much. When I'm around them, I'm much less prone to complain or gossip or gripe or give up hope. On the other hand, there are some people who only have to kind of walk in the room to get me down the dumps or get me defensive or even worse, the old fancy. Now, back to this first group of people. They, they understand what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He tells us that if we will offer encouragement to one another, we can help one another avoid the pitfalls of sin. Now, there are two key words I want to point out here. The first word is encourage. It means to put courage into. Not nag, not belittle, not criticize. Encourage. And here's an easy way to identify encouragement. If it feels good to hear, it builds you up, it strengthens you. That's encouragement. The second word is daily, as in seven days a week. Now, I'm a literalist, so I take this to mean that in every 24-hour period of time, I need to have encouraged at least one person or I'm in sin. I mean, I just need to do this if I'm going to be a literalist. Now, you know, the Bible never says rebuke one another daily or call out one another daily or scold one another daily. But it does say encourage one another daily. Now, that's because when you offer people encouragement, you help them become more holy. You Help them maintain a tender heart. You help them keep their thoughts directed toward Jesus. And do you know what else you do? You help yourself. Solomon also says in the book of Proverbs, this is in chapter 11, verse 25, he who, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So when you're passing out encouragement, some of it comes back your way. 
Now, listen to what the writer back here in Hebrews says in verse 16. He says, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Whoa. Do you understand what he's saying? These are the people who witnessed tremendous miracles by the hand of God. The plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, manna in the desert, water, water shooting out of a rock, a cloud by day, a fire by night. And yet, it was not enough for them. Even after all they saw, their hearts turned cold and became like stone. And so in verse 19, we see that they were not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Now, I got to tell you, if they can be disqualified from entering into God's fullness, then any of us can be at risk, too. I mean, you can't live your life on the strength of a spiritual experience you had back in high school or back in the 80s or back when you first started going to church. I mean, it's not enough. God wants you to be involved. He wants you to be engaged. He wants you to be connected to him in the present, in this moment, today, right now. I mean, he wants his people to enter into his rest. I mean, that place is special blessing found in his presence. And he's not trying to exclude anyone. He's trying to prepare everyone. He wants to get you ready for life in the promised land. And I say, friends, don't miss it. Keep your mind on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. The more you think of him, the more closely you walk with him. And, and hang on to your heart. Nurture your relationships with God. And keep your heart where it ought to be through surrender and belief and sacrificial obedience. And then look around you. The people you see need your encouragement every day. And you need to give it. Don't let a day go by without building up a brother or sister. Now, these are the things that prevent us from falling by the wayside. These things help us hold fast. These are the things that will keep our hearts in the right place. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. God bless. Talk to you soon.